Today is Sunday, May 24th. Well, and welcome to the Rivers online service. My name is Melinda Jean-Louis, and from time to time, I have been given the opportunity to speak as part of our volunteer teaching team at the River here in New York City. So welcome, hi, <laughs> and thanks for tuning in this morning. First of all, I wanna just say to everybody, the people who know me and the ones who I haven't seen in like almost two months at the river, I really, really miss you. And I'm really sad that we don't get to go through this together the way that we go through so many things together so beautifully in community in the ways that we've done in the past. And then for those of you who have left New York or left the river and are part of what one of our pastors, John, likes to call our diaspora. Hi, it's nice to see you, even though I don't get to see you, but hi. And last but not least, um, I wanna just extend a special welcome to those of you who are checking us out for the first time during these online services. And I look forward to one day meeting you in person whenever that will be, so. In the weeks since Easter, we've been in a season together and also globally in the liturgical church calendar called Eastertide. It's the time after Easter Sunday and before Pentecost Sunday, which falls this year on May 31st, which is next Sunday. During this time, over the last few weeks, we at the river have been looking at Jesus's documented, excuse me, resurrection accounts in the gospels in the bible to help us wrap our heads around this question that we've been facing and also the sermon series for this for the last couple of weeks which is called how to move forward when no one knows what's next during this crazy and unbelievable time of the coronavirus pandemic i think it's safe to assume that we've all had been faced to some degree with navigating unprecedented uncertainty vulnerability mortality and grief on a scale that I don't think anyone in our generation or in the generations before us has experienced before. And we as a community have been considering what faith may have to offer us as we deal with all of this. So today I thought we would take a look at one of my scarier topics of the four big ideas, uh, mortality. I don't pretend in the least to have any answers for any of you today, but maybe some observations from Jesus' post-resurrection story that may be able to help some of us process our mortality for the first time together, or possibly offer a different perspective or new something new to some of you who, you know, your mortality is something that you've always been thinking about, or it's always been kind of in the back of your mind before, so. I had a conversation with a colleague this past week at work that really stayed with me. Unlike a lot of people at the church, I am an essential worker. There's a few of us at the river, but I'm one of them. And I've been working for a psychiatric hospital. So that means I've been mustering up the courage to go to work every day for the last eight weeks. I mean. Minus like a day off here and just one. <laughs> and this colleague of mine, she fell ill with COVID-19 at the start of the quarantine time. 
and she and her, both she and her husband actually fell ill and she's been out she had been out sick for almost like five weeks and she was telling me some of us actually that she had many moments in her time fighting this virus that would have led somebody else to decide to go to the hospital because she wasn't breathing she was having trouble breathing she was staying up scared to go to sleep because she was scared of dying and she said i didn't go to the hospital because i didn't want to die alone and while the statement may not be significant to some of us who are hearing this but for me when i heard that it just like stunned me it showed me that this person this woman she was so in touch with her death that she had made a she had a vision for it she had made decisions about it and in that moment, I learned more about her than I think I even know about myself. I personally had never really spent too much intentional time considering my own death before a few years ago. And even then, I don't know if I personally have the answer to the question that this woman was faced with during this time. I naively thought that I had time to think about it. While I had experienced many threats to my safety before, I never was faced with the possibility, the very real possibility of me dying until three years ago. Funny enough, it was actually three years ago this very week that I was barely able to stand, wobbly, kind of holding on, not even able to like take the train by myself, sharing my story of survival with the congregation at the river after having been released from the hospital just a few days before. Some of you know that I had been hospitalized for almost a month after the discovery of a benign brain tumor near my brainstem. And while a brain tumor and the coronavirus pandemic are two very different things, when I thought about what I had to offer this conversation we've been having as a community these last months in quarantine, I realized that I had my own unique experience to share about facing mortality that may help us as we consider it together. Of all the big ideas we've been grappling with, I personally feel like mortality tends to feel like the most cut and dry of all of them. Death is certain. It's Sure, every single one of us is going to die. Take that in for a minute. And while I know that intellectually, we know this to be true, I think that truth comes to us differently when we're faced with a global pandemic with a potentially lethal airborne virus that has killed people with, of all ages, races, faiths, physical vitality, you fill in the blank. And in light of this, the question of life and death becomes a question that we need to answer every time we go to the sidewalk, get groceries at the grocery store, or even take the bus to work. Death who has the power to very accurately shut the door on everything that we know and mysteriously bring us into the unknown may have possibly been something that you've been able to keep very far away from your reality. And now that's been something that has, that actually now just lives right outside the front door. Or maybe if you live in community with others, it might be something that you have to deal with with your family. And yes, again, all of these things 
all of this was true about death always way before the coronavirus pandemic. But I think there's something unique about this moment that we all are finding ourselves in as a globe. While we may not have had to decide whether we wanted to, you know, had to go to the hospital and die alone, we may have had to consider other things like choosing to quarantine from our loved ones for fear of not infecting them um, or postponing your wedding because you, but, or risking dying without never having married the person who you decided you didn't want to live without or having your baby at home versus having it in the hospital because the hospital, you may not be able to have your partner with you in the delivery room or Sadly, some of us have had to mourn the death of loved ones remotely or, or choose not to. I know at the hospital, we, we lost a staff member and it was really, really sad and hard. And nobody got to be there for her family. You just could call. And me, I've had to think about who would find my body if I died. I know that's very morbid, but if I contracted the virus and stopped breathing, nobody would know. I live alone, I'm single. And I moved actually like within a week of quarantine. So nobody that knows me and loves me has ever been to my place, except for two. <laughs> so let's look at the passage at the end of Matthew, one of the gospels, a little bit before Easter morning to see what, if anything, faith may have to offer us or the way of Jesus could potentially offer us as we consider a way forward when none of us know if we'll live or die as a result of whatever comes next. I'm going to read it for you all. It's the message version. Matthew 27, 62 to 66, and the end of the book, 28, 1 to 20. After sundown, the high priests and the Pharisees arranged a meeting with Pilate. They said, sir, we just remembered that that liar announced while he was still alive, after three days, I will be raised. We've got to get that tomb sealed until the third day. There's a good chance his disciples will come and steal the corpse and then go around saying, he's risen from the dead then we'll be worse off than before, the final deceit surpassing the first. Pilate told them, you will have a guard. Go ahead and secure it the best you can. So they went out and secured the tomb, sealing the stone and posting guards. After the Sabbath, as the first light of the new week dawned, excuse me, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to keep vigil at the tomb. Suddenly, the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him. His garments shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. The angel spoke to the women, there is nothing to fear here. I know you're looking for Jesus, the one they nailed to the cross. He's not here. He was raised just as he said. Come and look at the place where he was placed. Now get on your way quickly and tell his disciples he's risen from the dead. He's going on ahead of you to Galilee. You will see him there. That's the message. The women, deep in wonder and full of joy, lost no time in leaving the tomb. They ran to tell the disciples. Then Jesus met them, stopping them in their tracks. Good morning, he said. They fell to their knees, embraced his feet, and worshipped him. Jesus said, you're holding on to me for dear life. Don't be frightened like that. 
go tell my brothers that they are to go to Galilee and I'll meet them there. Meanwhile, the guards had scattered, but a few of them went into the city and told the high priest everything that had happened. They called a meeting of the religious leaders and came up with a plan. They took a large sum of money and gave it to the soldiers, bribing them to say, his disciples came in the night and stole the body while we were sleeping. They assured them, if the governor hears about your sleeping on duty, he will make sure you don't get blamed. The soldiers took the bribe and did as they were told. That story cooked up in the Jewish high council is still going around. Meanwhile, the 11 disciples were on their way to Galilee, headed for the mountain Jesus had set for their reunion. The moment they saw him, they worshiped him. Some though held back, not sure about worship, about risking themselves totally. Jesus undeterred went right ahead and gave his charge. God authorized and commanded me to commission you, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you, I'll be with you as you do this, day after day after day, right up to the end of the age. There are a few things about this story that I'd like to bring to your attention. And the first one might seem trivial, but it's for me, it's a big one today, is the fact that there were guards at Jesus's tomb. We often hear about Mary Magdalene, the other Mary, the disciples, John, Peter, you know, these are the players whose experiences of Jesus's resurrection are the ones that get the most, you know, airtime. But the guards, <clears throat> in this version of the story, we see the guards and the women actually having a shared experience. Whereas, you know, last week, not year, feels like weeks and years go together now, but um, the account in John didn't even address the earthquake and the angel and the guards, but it really focused in on Mary Magdalene and her experience with Jesus. These supposed men, because I, I think they were men because they were guards at the time, um, who were hired to watch the tomb aren't usually the characters whose roles seem significant to me before. However, I was struck by them now as I was considering looking at mortality. And here's why. Jesus was very intimate with his mortality. And he had been speaking about his death a lot, apparently so publicly and so frequently that even his enemies knew that he was gonna die and that he said he was gonna raise from the dead in three days. And if you look at the stories in the gospels in the Bible, um, even his closest followers, people who were his closest friends, the, the disciples really struggled with this. And, you know, they didn't really understand why Jesus was talking about it. And before his crucifixion, even every single one of them was fighting it, fighting everything about Jesus dying every step of the way, up until Jesus is being arrested. I'm sorry, Jesus is arrest. Jesus knew he was going to die. And when he did die, there was a lot of thought and effort put into making sure he stayed dead. And hence, they posted guards to watch the tomb. These men most likely wouldn't have had their jobs that day if Jesus hadn't said that he would raise from the dead. So you could see Jesus talking about his death in a few ways as a result of this. You could see it as a vulnerability on his part, like which now made his enemies have to go and spin stories, bribing people 
you know, to lie about his resurrection, about what they'd actually seen with their own eyes, or you could see it as a strength of Jesus' story, making his resurrection from the dead all the more incredible and miraculous. When I thought about this in the context of thinking about our own mortality, the question came to me that I'm going to suggest you consider thinking about today. How much do any of us talk about our deaths? How comfortable am I or you with the fact that you're going to die and you don't know when that will be? I'm not asking this question to make any of you or me feel badly about or guilty about not being prepared or not having a will or whatever. I'm just asking it as a question that I think for, that could be helpful for us because do the people closest to you know about your death? Do you even know? And you might say to me, Melinda, I'm not Jesus. There will be no resurrection after I die. <laughs> but is it possible that you don't know what's gonna happen? So maybe speaking about it could breathe some life into it. At the river, we have a tradition in our talks um, to offer practical suggestions that might help as we consider what to try or do as a result of what we're hearing. And so my first practical suggestion as we consider our mortality today is to consider your own death. And when you feel ready, consider talking about it to someone you trust. With someone, and then, you know, who knows what's gonna happen after that, I don't know. But you can do that by asking yourself some of the questions that I stated before, or you can do that in another way. Um, it may be scary at first, it probably will be, but who knows, maybe the power of talking about one's death is not only reserved for Jesus. After you've considered this, I would like for us to now look at more of the story of these guards who were hired to make sure Jesus' death remained final and their experience at the tomb with the women. And in this picture of what happened, you see many different representations and, and uh, descriptions of death. I'm gonna read it for you. Suddenly the earth reeled and rocked under their feet as God's angel came down from heaven, came right up to where they were standing. He rolled back the stone and then sat on it. Shafts of lightning blazed from him, his garment shimmered snow white. The guards at the tomb were scared to death. They were so frightened they couldn't move. This stone, a physical representation of death, is literally being rolled away and like death, these guards are being frozen, horrified in their tracks. Think about that for a moment. Think about the juxtaposition of stone being rolled away, guards frozen to death. This is an example of how when we look at death, there's a possibility that when we're faced with death, there's a, like how we might respond when also being faced with resurrection at the same time, that resurrection and death can exist in the same space. Death is literally being defeated before their very eyes the stones being rolled away and these guards are frozen. They were told to stand there because Jesus had said that he was going to raise from the dead. And I don't, they probably didn't believe it. I don't think they believed it. They probably thought that people were going to come try to steal the body, but resurrection? Oof. Well, there you go. I think there's something about this picture that speaks to the opportunity that we're presented with when we choose to face our mortality now or at any time in our lives. The possibility of death 
or our own mortality. It can be something that freezes us in our tracks or installs us from moving forward, or it may propel some type of movement or increased energy and dare I even say life in our lives. And that is startling and frankly unbelievable because everything in us tells us death is an end. It's final. And even in the story, you see the disciples having mixed reactions to the resurrected one. Some rushing to worship and some holding back, not sure about worship, which makes sense because he just died two days ago. Now he's back. It's like, oof, what am I going to do with this? It's a big risk. It's really interesting to me that resurrection feels vulnerable. It felt too vulnerable for them. And I think it's even, it still feels that, that way for us today. Even when you see it, it's really hard to trust it and then to let go of everything that you know. The idea of death, of life after really taking a loving look at death is horrifying. It's scary. It's vulnerable. It's unknown. Yes, death is a certainty and we don't know what's to come next. So then we're like, why would we even put ourselves to the trouble of like looking at it or thinking about it? But we're, we're all going to die. And if you didn't think about it before, you may find yourself now either you could still be avoiding it or you're being thrust into a situation like this one or another one that brings it really close to the surface. I, for one, was thrust into a, such a situation when I found out about my brain tumor. I remember hoping that the surgeries I survived would be curative and that once I was out of there that it would all be over forever. But that wasn't what happened for me. I have been living with a brain tumor. And while it's stable now, thankfully, there has been some limited growth and um, since the surgery, since the last surgery that I had. And I was told about like nine months ago that I have to watch out for possible choking episodes, falls, hearing loss, any, I don't know all of the things I have to look out for as any indication that we need to go back in and, or have some type of intervention. And at the time of the craniotomy and laminectomy that were intended to res resect the entire tumor, I was faced with the risk of no longer being able to speak, eat, or breathe on my own if there were any possible complications. And while I survived, after facing my death in that way, I couldn't even imagine what life there was for me after that. I felt damaged for a very long time. Like somehow that the fact that I could die negated the fact that there was more life for me to live, that the creator, my creator, felt like I had more life here on this earth. And when I think about my own story of facing my mortality a few years ago, and the fact that I've been living with this these last three years, I've seen myself ebb and flow from being frozen to death to rolling the stone away and experiencing new life in my own life. In these last three years, I've experienced freedom. Freedom from spiritual and emotional oppression. I've matured, which, I mean, that seemed impossible, right? And then I've seen my dreams come true, like a dream that I dared to dream almost 10 years ago 
of um, leading a hospital, which actually came true <laughs> this last week. At first, when I thought about what I wanted to say about mortality today, I was tempted to make it a very black and white thing because yeah, death is very black and white. You're either dead or you're not breathing. And we all have this reminder now, coronavirus literally keeps people from breathing. But faith in light of death is not so cut and dry. I think humanity, I think you and I, we are all a combination of both and. Sometimes we're the guards or those disciples who are looking at the stone being rolled away, witnessing resurrection and we're frozen, scared, keeping it at arm's length. We can't take that risk. Uh, we make up stories do things, feel things to avoid resurrected life or the possibility of life after death. And then sometimes we bask in it like those ladies, joyous, running towards it, giving thanks for it. We're joyous in the face of it, of the, in the face of, of dying and then new life and the new life that could possibly come after. So my second practical suggestion is instead of seeing mortality as an either or with faith, consider it as being both and. Where death is both an end and a beginning, where we can be frozen and the stone can roll away, where we can experience resurrection and be scared to risk coming too close, where we can run towards it like Mary and we can also stay farther away and be like, mm, I don't know about worshiping you right now. And you might be like, okay, Melinda, where would any of us begin to entertain such a reality where we could be living in the experience of death and the experience of resurrection life? I remember when I was told that I needed to go into emergency surgery on Easter Sunday of 2017, I laughed until I cried. <laughs> the idea that I was so close to death literally stopped me in my tracks and everything inside of me could do nothing but deny the reality of the fear, the terror, the isolation that I felt as I was told that my quick trip to the ER for persistent headaches turned into, I can't leave, I need to have emergency brain surgery in the next two hours or I could die. But then with the help of this community, the living God, I did some of the bravest things I had ever done in my life that week as well. And that bravery inspired people that I'll never meet and people who I know very dearly. I consented to not one, but three different surgeries in the span of five days. With, and what held me in that ICU bed when I didn't know if I would make it through was that my soul knew and that I had learned to trust that beyond a shadow of a doubt, that every step of the way, those words in the famous Psalm 23, though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, the creator of the world is with me, holding my hand, sitting by my bedside, small enough to come and set up camp at my brainstem and protect me from that intruder and big enough to take care of the lives of the healthcare workers so that nothing would get in the way of them taking care of me excellently. Jesus gives his charge and he says, go out and train everyone you meet far and near in this way of life, marking them by baptism in the threefold name, Father, Son, and Holy Spirit. 
Then instruct them in the practice of all I have commanded you. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. This passage of scripture is often referred to as the Great Commission. When I was a kid, I always heard this commission. Excuse me. And I interpreted it as something, and not, not me, I was, it was interpreted for me as something that was very overwhelming, very grand, very loaded, something that I could never do because I'm not a street preacher and or an evangelist. Um, I don't walk door to door trying to change life for Jesus. And no offense to those people who do it, but that's not, that's just not me. That wasn't how I, I you know, that's not how I'm, how I'm wired. But um, now when I look at the Great Commission, I see it differently. And so I would lastly like to suggest that as you may struggle with facing your mortality now or at another point in life, number three is start with believing that you are never alone. Jesus ends his commission with the mission statement that I think any one of us can start to apply today. I'll be with you as you do this. This thing called life, this thing called living in the coronavirus pandemic, you fill in the blank. I'll be with you as you do this day after day after day, right up until the end of the age. Amen. Let's end our time together by us all reading this Easter benediction right now, out loud, wherever we are, all over New York City and beyond. It'll be projected on the screen. Creator of the universe, you made the world in beauty and you restore all things in glory through the resurrection life of Christ. We pray that wherever your image is disfigured by sickness, isolation, poverty, or despair, the new creation in Jesus Christ may appear in love and in peace. Empower us to live out your resurrection life to the glory of your name. Amen. Thank you.